This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. It is episode 59. I don't know how long I'm going to continue to count which episode we're on, because hopefully we do this for a long time, but I would just assume maybe until like episode 100, or I guess episode 101, because my smart ass will be like, oh, 101. I don't know. I just enjoy doing that because it reminds me that even though that it seems like we've been doing this forever, I mean, shit, I'm wearing a tip of the iceberg t-shirt right now with a logo that was non-existent four months ago so it feels like it's moving very fast we've met a lot of people we've become friends with a lot of people so it's been a really good experience and I guess just saying the episode number reminds me that we have done absolutely nothing yet there is so much more to come from us so please stay tuned please keep tuning in because we have a lot more to give and and with that we are in week 10 of the hockey hiatus due to coronavirus my name is Nick Berlinski. I am joined by Nick Horwat. We talked yesterday when we interviewed the man that we will be hearing from here in a couple of minutes. But mm-hmm. how have you been in the past? I guess it's been 24 hours. So how have you been? Basically, and I've been good. I mean, I'm also wearing a hoodie with the logo that wasn't around four months ago. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. When you say the numbers, it helps me know what number to save it under whenever I save our recording. There we so. go. Thank you for continuing to say that. I would be lost (laughs) without it. Other than that, the weather's starting to break. Other than, I think it's a little rainy right now, but hey, that happens. It's Pittsburgh. (laughs) And we are officially in the yellow phase. Yes, we are in the yellow phase. Golf courses are opening back up. I am so excited, even though I don't really golf that much. It's just something to do, and I'm very excited for it. I de-rusted my clubs, and uh, was it Mason's going tomorrow. There we (laughs) go. I work tomorrow morning, so I'm, I'm in day Two of three of working three days in a row from home, and two of them are morning shifts. Hey, pitter-patter. Got to do what you got to do. I mean, you got to make something in this time off. Well, as we mentioned, we do have a very special guest that's going to join us here in a little while. We were joined by none other than the Penguins play-by-play announcer for AT&T Sportsnet. Steve Mears joined the show to talk a little bit about his career and his path to the Pittsburgh Penguins broadcast booth. We also are going to talk a little bit about the 10-year anniversary of the final Mellon Arena game. Yes, it's been 10 years since the last game at the Igloo. We're going to give you our favorite memories from that arena, and we encourage you to chime in on the conversation. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Facebook. Let us know anywhere that you can get a hold of us, your favorite memories from the Igloo. But with that, let's get it started. A little bit of news this past week to get through. We started with the AHL. It decided to cancel the remainder of the season. That is the first time since 1936 that the Calder Cup will not be awarded. Of course, Wilkes-Barre was not really on their way to a Calder (laughs) Cup championship as they finished the season 12th place in the Eastern Conference. Not the greatest season there for Wilkes-Barre, but for the entire AHL, the season will be canceled. Unfortunate news. And like I said, since 1936, the first time. Yeah, I mean, when this news came out, I my first thought was, didn't they already cancel everything? <laughs> it was but, tentative, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of thought process going into any of this is, well, everything is currently canceled as is. <laughs> if they want to bring things back, they will. Apparently, Gary Bettman is absolutely hell-bent and is not even optioning not finishing this season. Mm-hmm. 
so there's that. But as for the AHL, yeah, um, the end of that would make sense. But also, isn't it? Aren't they losing a team now? Isn't there some shuffling going on down there? There is some shuffling going on. I don't know the specifics. I haven't looked into it, and I know I said I was going to, but I haven't looked into it. There's some shuffling going down there, but the rest of the season's canceled. They have some time to figure it out, and as far as Gary Bettman on Mm -hmm. last week's 31 Thoughts, he said that we should have some update this week as a possible leeway into what we're going to do with the rest of the NHL season, so keep your eyes out for that, Penguins fans. Some news might be coming pretty soon, but... As far as at the NHL level and on the Penguins level as a concern, some news broke last week that I wasn't expecting. I don't think you were expecting either. Dominic (laughs) Simone has shoulder surgery that he has been dealing with since the Sharks game on February 29th on Leap Day, and he will be missing six to seven months. (laughs) Where did that come from? Yeah, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um I didn't know what to think. It was the first tweet I saw after we wrapped our interview that we're going to hear, but, and I immediately sent it to you and was like, this, I I don't know what it does. Like, does that throw a wrench into contract negotiations? Does it kind of screw us if we're trying to get rid of them? Like, I mean, six to seven months in a normal off season, we're thinking, okay, so he's missing October, November, right? If I'm doing that math correctly. He's, He's missing the start of next season. But now it's like... Well, you might miss a week. <laughs> yeah, you might miss a week. You might miss no time. We don't know what's going on. But, like, essentially that's down until just about November. But as for, you know, the surgery itself and or the injury itself, uh, I knew he was hurt. Was he not on IR or am I making that up? No, he was hurt when all the season decided to, to ramp down and they decided to stop the season. He was injured, but they thought it was week-to-week injury. Apparently that's he right. was going to try to play through it if the season was to continue. And mm-hmm. he's going to try to rehab it and get back for the playoffs and then opt for off-season surgery. But at this point, I think the smart thing was get the surgery, start rehabbing it. It'll be better in six to seven months. That's fine. The one thing that it does do is the Penguins come back for a July playoffs or an August playoffs. Dom Simone is out of the equation. This gives an opportunity for somebody like Evan Rodriguez, who might have been a couple players into the healthy scratch, and now he might have a chance to jump in. So it changes the dynamic a little bit of what Mike Sullivan is going to do with the Penguins lineup if they are to return. So it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. Dom Simone will be out for a couple months, so it'll be interesting to see where the bottom six gets placed and that third line gets placed and the order of the healthy scratches once all this starts back. Yeah, one more thing about that, too, is like I never even thought of this. You said like Dom Simone was trying to play through it. My first thought was, buddy, don't be a hero. You're only Dominic Simone. <laughs> but then I... Stopped being smartass and thought, well, hold on. How often does this really happen with players? Like, do they think about when they get hurt? Do they think, well, we have a deep team? Because we know hockey players are hell-bent on wanting to play the game, wanting to contribute all they can. This would be, like, a conversation to have for a completely different episode to go deeper into it. But what do players genuinely think when they get hurt? Like, is it, we have a deep team, I can take the time off to heal up and come back? Or is it, we suck, our depth is terrible i need to play through this <laughs> like and i don't think that hear... would be his case right, but... either but his might be we have a deep team i don't want to lose my spot yeah but like who knows I, like those are just things i never thought of and i just figured i'd say because it's being recorded that like those are interesting things to think about at the psychology of a hockey player 
Yeah, and that's something that maybe we can get a deeper dive into a little bit later, but one thing that we are going to dive a little deeper into. Last week was the 10-year anniversary of the final Melon Arena game. You're going to notice a little bit of a pattern here. So there's going to be a lot of talk about Melon Arena. Not only do we have this, but in the Steve Mears interview that's coming in a couple of minutes, he mentions it. It's also part of a little bit of a trivia question coming later. You guys have a chance to win a tip of the iceberg coffee mug, one that Horwat already has in his hands. Mm -hmm. I'm probably near him at the desk right now, but... You guys will have an opportunity to get your hands on one of those for free. That is the key term there for free. But like I said, last week, 10-year anniversary of the final game at Mellon Arena. What I wanted to do is talk a little bit about your favorite memories and my favorite memories from that arena. And like I said, please chime in on social media. Let us Absolutely. know your favorite memories from that <clears throat> arena. Horrod, I'll let you take the reins and you can you can lead off this segment. Unless you'd rather me do it. I mean, I just have so many. I mean, not to like throw it in your face, but like, I mean, my family's been season ticket holders for years, and I can remember going to Mellon Arena for so many games and for so many different things. But I can just, I just like just trying to pick one would be hard for me. I'm gonna let you start because I'm gonna try and narrow down to like one or two stories that I can come up with. Yeah, we definitely grew up in a different area when it came to being our Penguins fandom because, like you said, you your family was season ticket holders. You got to go to a lot of games. For me, going to a Penguin game was like going to Mount Everest or going to Mount Rushmore <laughs> or going to this holy grail of a place that I didn't get to go to very often, especially Mellon Arena, because you think about it, it closed 10 years ago. Both of us were only 13 years old when it closed. Yeah. So we didn't. I can remember watching the game it closed too. So we were only 13 when it closed. For me, my best memories, I had two chances to see a handshake line at the end of a playoff series. Unfortunately, neither of those games ended with a handshake line and the Penguins didn't win that game, but in both series, they ended up winning the series. So in the end of the day, it was all right. The first one on May 11th, 2009, it was game six Penguins capitals. Pens just had the series lead three to two because of Malkin scoring in game five overtime in Washington. The one thing for some reason, it was a great game back and forth ended up five, four in overtime. David Steckel scored the OT goal right in front of me. I was about 10 rows back from the ice. So a great experience for my very first playoff game at the Igloo. But the one thing that I remember is a sign hanging from the second level rafters that says fry the oven chicken. Now, I don't know why that sticks in my memory because I don't even find it that creative. I don't even no. find it that funny. No offense to the person that made the sign. I'm sure they put a lot of effort into it. There were oh, multiple signs up. <laughs> But what I saw was fry the oven chicken, and that is burned into my memory. One of probably the worst chirps I've ever heard, but that is the one thing that I remember from that game more than anything else. I mean, Sidney Crosby scoring late, that is an amazing moment because he tied it late in the third period. I will remember that forever, but it was at the opposite end of the ice. And then, of course, Steckel scoring it in overtime right in front of me. It was heart-crushing, yet great moment because I had just finished watching my first playoff game in person. That was the first one. And the second one I wanted to bring up was about a year later, April 22nd in 2010, when I was in seventh grade. And of course, at that point, and I was in my ninth period class, got called out and called down to the principal's office. And of course, me thinking, well, even though I knew the principal because I was friends with his son, I grew up right next to him. I figured, well, I'm probably in trouble. You get called to the principal's office, you think you're in trouble. But instead, turns out he had four tickets to the game that night, asked me to go with his two sons that I was friends with. So we went to the game, and of course, we leave early from school, which was great. Went and picked up his kids who were in elementary school at that point, and I was friends with, and headed to Pittsburgh. 
game five of a series between the Pens and the Sens. Pens mm-hmm. led three to one. I already mentioned that they didn't win the game. But what I didn't mention is this was the game that went into triple overtime. <laughs> mm. So it was a long night. It was a pretty good game. It was a very good game. The Penguins finished with 59 shots. Definitely didn't score close to 59 goals. It was kind of a, a rough first and second overtime. There were a couple chances back and forth. And then, of course, Karkner scores. It was on the opposite end for me. And it was probably one of the worst goals I've ever seen in person. I mean, that's just that's just what happens in triple overtime, isn't it? It was a shitty Basically. shot that was bounced around a little bit. And Fleury had no idea where it went. And it was behind him. At that point, it was like 1.30, 1.45, almost 2 o'clock in the morning. I remember my one friend was passed out in between the first and the second overtime. He was knocked out asleep. So we were dead tired, and there was really not much life in the building left because you're laid into a third overtime. But that just completely deadened everything in the building. Everybody was just so upset. They were just pissed because we sat here for so long. It was such a great game, and there was no payoff. At the end of the day, I like to look back at it. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I got to go see a triple overtime game. But at that time, it was pretty quiet in the old Mellon Arena. But those are the two memories that stick out to me as being my my fondest memories of Mellon Arena, even though they didn't win the games. Those were my fondest memories of Mellon Arena because those were playoff games. And yes, I know what you're saying. You were 0-2. Please tell me you didn't go to another <laughs> playoff game. No, I did. Thank you very much. I went to game, I think it was what, game five? Oh uh, yeah, game five of the Ottawa series in 2017, and we won seven to nothing. So I've been vindicated. The bad juju is off my back. I'm one and two in playoff games, so we're good with that. So what were yours? I hope that gave you enough time to figure <clears throat> out what you wanted to go with. <laughs> yeah, they gave me plenty. Um, <laughs> my first one's kind of fun. It's a, I've, it's this vague memory, and I, it was the year after we won the cup. It was um, the year Sidney Crosby scored 51. Mm-hmm. And is the only time he's ever scored 50, which I had to quickly Google to make sure it was true. Mm-hmm. I was at the game where he initially scored. At least I think this is how it went down. I was he had scored a goal against the New York Islanders. He scored a goal and scored. It was his 49th. And I remember thinking like, okay, I was a young kid, like seventh grade, maybe even a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had my flip phone. <laughs> I'm thinking every time Cross is on the ice, he, I've, he was having a phenomenal game. He had two assists already, too. And I was like, he's having a great game. He's going to get his 50th while I'm here. I'm going to try and record it. On your I flip remember, phone. So, on my flip phone, which is the nuttiest thing. But So he, I think it may have been on the power play. I don't know why I had this vague memory, but I'm recording Crosby. And for some reason, in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I get a phone call from someone right now, and no shit as the puck is going to Crosby my mom calls me so because it's an old phone the video ends Crosby scores yes oh no but I think the next day or something or a lot later they take it back because I guess it just barely grazed Bill Guerin's leg or something like that so it was nothing hurt but I vaguely remember being like if I get a call right now whenever I'm about to record Crosby's 50th goal of the season and then I did (laughs) It's just the wildest thing. Because I remember, I just have this dumb memory of answering my phone and the crowd's just shouting. My mom's like, oh, you're at the game? <laughs> Did like, you yell yes. at her about that, I'm guessing? I think I told her. I was like, I was trying to record, you know, a big moment. I forget what the call was, but, yeah. um, but you know, 
Crosby would go on to score two goals in the last game of the season for, you know, 51 and tying Stamkos for the Rock of Richard. But that's one of them. And my other one, I always talk about how I've seen the cup there get lifted by Detroit, so mm-hmm. I don't need to say that again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how the Penguins always do that kids' day for practice? Yeah. yeah. I think fifth grade I went to and it was at Mellon Arena. I was one of – John Minadeo Elementary where I went was one of the schools that was invited. Oh, that's cool. So I was part of – at one point part of that loud, raucous, <laughs> childlike crowd. I think that was my fifth grade year, so that would have been the year we lost the Stanley Cup. Um, so other than that – yeah. Okay. Other than that, just going there all the time was a phenomenal building to be in. I started picking up my own little habits as I got older there. Like, whenever my parents would start letting me walk around by myself, I would, before I got to the seats, I can remember I would always do a lap around each level that I could, at least, because the bottom level is, like, it's a circle, so you're able to walk all the way around it. I would do, like, a lap around the first level, go up to the second, do a quick lap around there, and then go up to my section, which is the third level up, and you couldn't get all the way around there, but I would try and just walk what I could. I don't know why, but that's what I did. You had a lot more opportunities mm-hmm. at Mellon Arena than I did, and I envy you, but at the same time, both of our memories are very special to us. I want you guys to tell us your favorite memories of Mellon Arena. In the interview that we keep promoting here that's coming up in a couple of minutes, Steve Mears shares a couple of special memories from that arena too, so stay tuned for that. But before we move on, we wanted to mention another outreach thing that a Pittsburgh Penguin did. This time it is Chris Letang, and he provided meals for children and families in need. Letang and his wife, Catherine, have supported the Students and Families Food Relief Fund and the Need Community Cafe. Their contributions will enable those organizations to provide meals for those in need during the COVID-19 outbreak. So we continue to update you on all of the outreach that the Pittsburgh Penguins and their organization are doing throughout the community. And there's just another one this week, Christopher Latang and his wife, Catherine, doing really good to help out the children and provide meals for families that really desperately need it during this time. Yeah, I mean, I had a... I wrote a whole story on all the things the penguins are doing and um it's some really good things i mean it's a lot of meals being given out which is which makes sense but i mean also the pirates they celebrated um national hospital week by you know delivering breakfast to area hospitals from uh duncan so all the teams stepping up and doing things and you know it's these this is something i i pointed out in one of my stories that this is bigger than sports at this point we all know it is Mm. Exactly. But we're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, we will be joined by Pittsburgh Penguins play-by-play announcer, Steve Mears. This episode of The Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. 
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, episode 59. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I'm joined by Nick Horwat. But today, we're also joined by a special guest that you may recognize. You might notice his voice from AT&T Sportsnet. He's a tried-and-true Pittsburgher from Murraysville, Pennsylvania, and he is now the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Please join us in welcoming onto the show Steve Mears. How are you, Steve? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How have you been doing during quarantine? I know that you've perfected the art of the macaroon, but other than that, how have you been doing? Yeah, I did not perfect it. That takes years and years, obviously. thought I did okay. Uh, but yeah, doing a lot of cooking, trying to stay up on what's going on in the hockey world and the sports world, trying to stay in shape mentally and physically, and uh, playing a little guitar and, and just like different hobbies and trying to make the most of the time uh, during the hockey season. The one thing we always say is you just don't have enough time in the day to do all the things that you want to do. And I think that's the case for everybody when we're working and we get immersed in whatever it is that we're doing in our careers. But now for the last two months, we've had a lot of time to try new things and, and uh, try to live a healthy lifestyle. So uh, I've tried to do that. And uh, it's, I guess you could say part of it has been fun getting to do some of those things, but obviously I'd much rather be at a hockey rink and uh, on TV doing a penguin game. Yeah, we all want to get back to normal. That's that's definitely for sure. You've been watching all those Penn's Classic rewinds on AT&T? Yeah, that's been one of the cool parts, uh, all the, the memories. I've tweeted out a few of those over the years, uh, the, the great goals, because there are so many of them in Penguin history. It's incredible when you think of five Stanley Cups, even some of the years where they did win the Stanley Cup, and you forget about some of the exciting games and exciting moments like say 2008 when they go to the final and lose to the Red Wings but there were some thrilling games in that run and that was like the arrival of the Penguins of the Crosby and Malkin era when they just steamrolled through those playoffs and remember game five in Detroit season on the line and Max Talbot scores late Flurry was amazing in overtime Peter Sikora wins it with the OT game winner his called shot and that's like one of those games that it's not a cup year but it's just one of those moments that uh, we've had so many of in the history of this franchise, especially the modern history of this franchise. And uh, it's nice to go back and, and relive some of those, not the obvious ones, but some of them that kind of uh, get forgotten through the years. And maybe some younger fans, like especially in the case of 91 and 92, maybe some younger fans aren't as familiar with. So the classic games and the clips here over the last uh, couple of months have really helped to go back to those great moments and memories especially having all the players that we've had. Sometimes big plays and big goals can get lost in the shuffle. But I did want to rein it in a little bit to the beginning of your career. One of your first jobs in hockey after college was the voice of the Bozier Shreveport Mudbugs of the Central Hockey League. So what was it like going down there? And what was the hockey culture like in Louisiana? How different was it from Pittsburgh, where you grew up? Quite different, but they love their hockey, and they definitely did back then, and they still do to this day. It's a junior team now in the North American Hockey League. Back then, it was a double-A minor professional team, and in the Central Hockey League, which no longer exists. 
but I just had the best time. I've said it many times, the best four years of my life. Everything about it was fun. It was just fun all the time. And at the same time, it was very educational. I learned about the business side of sports. I learned about just about everything except broadcasting. Broadcasting was like 10% of the job. But when you're working in the minor leagues, you, have, you wear so many different hats. So you're doing sales, you're doing community relations, you're doing team relations, you're doing the game notes, PR, and organizing hotels and meals. And you have a whole list of duties aside from broadcasting. And in a job like that, in the minors, it's like seven o'clock rolls around and you realize, oh, I got to go announce the game. But uh, it, it was just so educational and I, it just built that foundation. I said it was like getting my master's in hockey, <laughs> first job out of college. You go in and you just learn everything about not just hockey, but a sports franchise and a business. And in, at the same time, I worked in a tremendous organization with so many wonderful people that I'm still friends with, players and the GM and the coach and office staff members. So uh, it was uh, the perfect starting point to this career of wanting to be a broadcaster. And they just kind of gave me this blank slate. And, uh, and I was young. I, was, I went down there. I was 22 years old, packed up my car, went down to Louisiana, just going in the dark and not even knowing what to expect. And it turned out to be the greatest four years I could have ever asked for. With the Mudbugs, that is where you earned your first job as an NHL you know, radio play-by-play guy with the New York Islanders. Do you remember your first game with the Islanders and the feelings you may have had that night? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, pretty nervous at the start. Uh, it was in Arizona, so I always have a fondness whenever I go back there. Anytime there's a game in Arizona, I will always love that building. I'll always – that would be so special to me. I think the most memorable part of the whole thing was that the coach of the Coyotes then was Wayne Gretzky. He was behind the bench. So my first morning skate and my first morning skate media scrum, everyone gathered around Wayne Gretzky. I mean, it was just insane that I'm here. I had just been doing mud bug games months before, or even almost weeks before. And uh, now I'm standing next to Wayne Gretzky and holding a microphone and listening to him speak about this opening night game between the Islanders and the Coyotes. It was just like I was on a different planet. I couldn't believe I was there. And uh, it just it reminded me, and as the game got going, a couple of things that first, hockey is hockey. Yeah, it's obviously faster and the best league in the world. But at the same time, it's the same game that I did in college and in the minors. The, the basic premise is the same. And uh, also just when you get to the NHL, everything is bigger. It's just a, a bigger audience, bigger radio station in that case bigger crowds obviously it just it just was like everything was elevated from where i was in shreveport to where i went obviously it was the biggest media market in the world and being in new york so that's it was quite a jump but when you strip it all down and this goes for just about anything when you make those steps it's still the same game and so you just do what you've always done and uh, I thought it went really well for three years. Eventually, they decided they would get rid of their radio broadcast. So that's kind of what brought me to Pittsburgh. But um, it turned out to be one of the best things that could ever happen to me. Uh, but for a stepping stone job, for a first foray into the NHL, that, that was a wonderful place to land. Yeah, and you mentioned after that you came back to Pittsburgh for the first of a couple times that you returned to your hometown. And the first time it was to be the host of the Penns Radio Network and Penns TV Something that has been mentioned a lot this week is the 10-year anniversary of the closing and final game of Mellon Arena, but that ended up being your first year with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So what was it like to work in that historic building during its final season? 
Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, we, I got that one last year and that it overlapped in that fashion. So the Islanders get rid of their radio broadcast. They go to a simulcast to save money in 2009, and I'm devastated. That was my dream job to work in the NHL. That was my big break. You wonder if you're going to get another break like that ever again. And uh, little did I know, and this is a great lesson. It's, it's something that can be applied in a lot of different areas in life is that you think it's the worst thing in the world. It turns out to be the best possible thing that could have ever happened to me because within weeks, I started talking with the Penguins organization. They were interested in bringing me in. They were starting a new radio network. And uh, it, was, it was a dream come true. And to be there for that last year at the Igloo, just to work every day in that building where I grew up going to games and used to dream of being in that press box and to be able to walk around and go in the locker room and go to all these, these places uh, in that building. And I'm just so fortunate that uh, I had that opportunity in, in the last year of the Igloo. They were the defending Stanley Cup champions and also the new building was being built. So I got an opportunity to put a hard hat on and go over to the construction site and see, you. Well, this is, what was going to be Consol Energy Center, which is now PPG Paints Arena. I got to see the, the framework there. And it was, it was a thrilling year all the way down to the very end. Unfortunately, they lose game seven to the Montreal Canadiens. We close the doors forever to the Igloo. Uh, but it was, it was magical. It was, uh, it was really special. And one thing, another thing that's coming up, and I just happened to see a picture of this, is that after they lose game seven, maybe two weeks later, the Penguins office staff had a final skate and they usually do this. This has been documented on HBO. The office staff has like a game day skate where the, the people that work in the office can go on the ice and play a little pickup game. And we had one last skate at the Igloo. And that was amazing. I, and I'm pretty sure the ice was melted the next day. So I might have been the last person to skate off the ice at the Igloo forever because then it was done and it was, it was going to be torn down. And I still have, I, I scooped up some ice shavings, some gross ice shavings that had all kinds of God knows what yep. into my Gatorade bottle. And I just stuffed them into the Gatorade bottle right before I left the ice. It was right from the crease on the far side, away from the Penguins locker room. And I still have that disgusting bottle of, uh, it's not though, because it's, it's igloo ice, yeah. but it doesn't look pretty. You know, there's, there's bits of things in it floating around in it, but it's in this old Gatorade bottle from 2010 and that was uh, the last of remnants of the ice from the final skate at the igloo and uh, i'm just glad i got to go on there once let alone uh, what really turned out to be the last quote-unquote game that was ever played there yeah i um they sold the, that melted ice i can remember never i was a i was a lot younger then but um my family bought one of those little vials or whatever they were for me and i can remember looking at it, like it looks really like gross water and there's something floating around in my specific bottle. I don't know what it is, but it's cool to know that you were the last one probably on uh, that bottle that I have. Yeah, but, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if anybody else played or skated. I, I just remember my, I invited my brother there. He was living in Pittsburgh at the time, and he grew up a Penguin fan just like I did. I knew he would be just thrilled to skate one time at the Igloo. So I told him, I said, come on down, bring your gear. We're going to skate. We need some skaters. And uh, I remember it was like Jason Botterill played. He was in the office staff. Phil Bork was probably there. And that, that some of the strength and conditioning coaches, the same guys that play, maybe some of the, the assistant coaches and, and uh, part of the coaching staff at the time as well, played in that game, that one last game. And uh, it was just so special. So my brother and I were out there at center ice and we just took so many pictures. We went and got our phones and we just laid down at center ice. We took a picture 
pointed up at the ceiling, the famous ceiling, and just what the nets look like. And you just wanted to freeze that moment in time because buildings and sports facilities like that, it's not like going back to your college or your, your house you grew up in or a church you grew up going to. When those facilities are gone, they're gone. And then they get replaced by the new one. So all you have are the memories and the videos and the pictures. And uh, so to have that little memento and a few pictures of being on the ice, on the bench, standing in the crease with my hockey gear, that was uh, truly special because you, you just don't get that opportunity. I can always go back to Franklin Regional or Bowling Green or even the house in Murraysville that I first lived in when I was like five years old. But you can never go back to Three River Stadium or Mellon Arena. It just it doesn't exist anymore. So those sports facilities are, are really unique. I'm glad I got to soak it in one last time, not just on the professional side, but just going out there and twirling out on the ice and just having a good time. Shortly after that, and you moved back to New York to join the NHL Network, where you covered a lot of things, you know, from Ranger games to international to Stanley Cup final games. And you were given the jack-of-all-trades type of thing. Uh, what was one thing you enjoyed most about, you know, doing NHL network stuff? I think just the day-to-day following of what's going on in the hockey world. For five years, I was there in that seat. And if there was anything happening in the hockey world, we were covering it. So if there was a trade, if a coach was fired, if there was a controversial play the night before, if there was a thrilling game the night before, or an amazing goal, we covered it. And we had just about everybody in the hockey world that was significant on that show, whether it's a current player, a former player, uh, Gary Bettman came on many times and various coaches and general managers. So to be in that seat as a hockey fan, I don't know if you could have a better seat because you're right in the thick of what's going on in the sport on a day-to-day basis. And even back then when I started, we were the only show from four or five to seven, we were the only show. So a lot of people who were coming home from work or school they tuned in. If they were a hockey fan, they were tuning in five to seven with EJ and I. And uh, it's nice to hear fans who would still tweet or come up to me and said they enjoyed the show. And I love going back on when I'm on with EJ or whomever on an NHL network. But uh, I think just the day-to-day, it was like every day was a game day. That's, I used to always say that. You prepared all the way up. Instead of seven o'clock, it was five o'clock. The show started about two hours, like a game sort of. And uh, you just prepped the whole day. And you hope that your preparation prepared you for what was going to happen. And sometimes the news broke in the middle of the show. There was a huge trade. And the producer would have to come in your ear and say, okay, well, player X just got traded. We got to get to this. And you'd scramble on your iPad and try to find the latest on Twitter and try to get the details of the parts that were going one way or the other in a trade. Or maybe a coach got fired or something uh, significant like that. So uh, the day-to-day excitement of just like going into that office and what's going to happen today. What are we going to see uh, that, that I really, really enjoyed. And the interviews too. We had, we had so many incredible interviews. Bobby Orr was probably my all time favorite. And uh, all these people I looked up to when I was a kid, we talked to Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick and Timu Solani and Wayne Gretzky. So uh, all these people that I looked up to now I'm talking with them on a one-on-one basis and getting to ask whatever I want. So uh, that was really cool. Well, you worked there for five years, so plenty of time to build those memories and build that resume in New York and with the NHL Network. Meanwhile, back in Pittsburgh, longtime Penguin sportscaster Paul Steigerwald, I've looked up to him. A lot of people have looked up to him. He moved out of his play-by-play slot and into the front office, but that also paved the way for you to return for the second time to the Steel City 
What were you feeling whenever you got that call to come home and become the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins? Well, it was, there was a decision to be made. As I said, I loved my time in New York. I loved living there. I loved NHL Network, the people that I got to work with. Uh, so I, it wasn't an easy decision by any means. But at the end of the day, I think my first love in this business is play-by-play. -play. So the appeal of getting back to doing that was something that I really couldn't pass up. The fact that it was Pittsburgh, obviously my hometown and the city that I truly love more than any, and my family is here, and it's a tremendous organization. Even if they didn't have the on-ice success and they weren't a perennial Stanley Cup contender, still they're an incredibly well-run organization, one of the more popular sports teams in the world. So uh, that, that was all appealing to me when I was thinking about uh, taking the job. And I knew someone was going to get the job. If it wasn't going to be me, it was going to be somebody else. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was excited once I started to think about it a little bit. And it was hard to say goodbye to everyone at NHL Network. They're doing so many great things, especially since they moved over in a partnership with MLB Network. And I was doing some baseball, too, and I love baseball. So that was another part of it, uh, getting to do that and getting to work there and be around so many talented people, some of the best in the TV sports business, either in management or some of the on-air talent, both with baseball and hockey, to, to work with those people at MLB slash NHL Network was uh, a dream come true. And I learned so much from them. But at the end of the day, I'm a play-by-play -play guy. I hadn't done it in a long time. And to get back to doing it regularly, following the ebb and flow of a team and a season, that was uh, the most exciting thing for me. So uh, I, I couldn't pass it up and uh, move back to Pittsburgh. And it, and it has been such a joy, such a privilege every day. Uh, I'll always be appreciative. Anytime I walk into that building and uh, get in for free, I'm always appreciative. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I mean, you mentioned that you travel with the team as well, doing your play-by-play -play stuff for AT&T Sportsnet. What is your favorite road city to visit during the season and what you know makes it your favorite? There are so many good ones. I always have a fondness for New York because I live there and I love it and the excitement of the city. There are so many for different reasons, too. I'm not a big country music fan, but Nashville is so much fun. <laughs> the culture there and the food. Uh, so that, that's one that sticks out. You love going to the warm weather places, California and Florida. You love going to Canada because it's hockey. So I don't care how cold it is. You still love being in the nation of Canada and going to a hockey game anywhere, regardless of Edmonton's temperature or if it's not the most exciting city or Winnipeg I love going to those places because I'm a hockey fan if I have one road trip to take out of any of them it's to Montreal that's my absolute favorite I've always said that for probably 10 years uh, if not more I've been in the NHL 15 years now so uh, Montreal has always been my favorite because it, you, in that case you have everything you have rich history of a franchise and a hockey city you have a, an incredible game experience that's the one i would recommend if you're a penguin fan you want to travel somewhere and you want to see the pens on the road go to montreal it's the way the building is constructed there's not a bad seat in the house the, the stands are right on top of the ice and you have so much history the banners in the rafters of all the stanley cups that the canadians have won and then you have the cultural aspects in the city the bilingual aspect of being in Montreal and the uh, French Canadian, the people are so wonderful. The food is excellent. So uh, Montreal would be the number one, but there are a lot of destinations. Chicago, Vancouver's incredible. Denver's great. There are a lot of great cities in this league, but for me, Montreal's number one. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I have yet to go to another NHL city. That's on the bucket list for next year whenever we're allowed to go back to games. So I'm definitely <laughs> definitely going to have to pencil in Montreal, that's for sure. Yeah, Columbus course, is underrated. Do I want a short trip? Only a few yeah. hours. Columbus is very underrated. That's another one I always like to throw in there for an underrated city that uh, has a lot of excitement and youth and a lot of things to do, a beautiful arena and arena district. And that's an easy drive for Penguin fans. So if you want a close road trip to take, I would uh, recommend Columbus and uh, even Philly. You know, I know that they get a bad rap, but uh, it's a fairly easy drive. And, uh, yeah, you might be harassed in the stands. That was the <laughs> first time. We know what they do out there. But, uh, and the great food in Philadelphia, I will say that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and you, have, you know you're going to see a great hockey game because of the rivalry is so fantastic. Yeah, my girlfriend and I took a bus trip out for the stadium series in Philadelphia, and we had some fun with the uh, fans out there. Yeah, they, they get that reputation for yeah. a reason. And it's it's uh, as advertised. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it when the bus pulls up, and they know it's the Penguins bus. I've seen it during the playoffs and some of these, like, awful signs and things and gestures that they do. So, uh, yeah, you just kind of have to laugh it off and, yeah. and uh, know that, for the most part, especially lately, the Penguins have gotten the last laugh. Well, Mirzi, we've talked before about how much Mike Lang meant to our respective lives and careers. So for you, what is it like getting to work alongside him? And has he given you any insight on how to come up with one of those historic goal phrases? <laughs> well, there's only one guy that can do that. and That's, yeah. uh, that's the Hall of Famer. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to copy him or imitate him in any way. But um, I certainly have always looked up to him. And uh, I think when it comes to a style, that there's so much, I think, in my style that you can hear, if you listen acutely, you can hear with, uh, with Mike's style, I, I would hope, because he just was such a big influence on me when I was younger. I just remember sitting at the igloo during the games, looking up and trying to find the bright lights up at the top where the, I knew the media was sitting and wondering, okay, well, not that booth, but that booth right there, that's where... Mike Lang sits. You could see him with his white shirt from a distance. I mean, he was so far away, it seemed. But as the game was going on, I was up there. I was looking and, and dreaming of being up there one day. And uh, I wonder if, uh, if the Penguins hadn't had such an iconic voice, I wonder would I have been as passionate about getting into this field if it had been anybody else, if it had been just kind of an average announcer or if uh, they had cycled through a bunch of announcers, you know, maybe I would have done something else. I don't know. I still loved hockey and sports. I probably would have had some, uh, some aspect of my life would have been involved with that, those two things or uh, hockey specifically. But broadcasting specifically, that all gets traced back to Mike Lang and, and what he's meant to me. And to this day, he's just a great friend. I can always reach out to him. He has good advice for me anytime I have a question about something. And he's always been so supportive. So uh, I just uh, am so thankful for his friendship and uh, just being a wonderful mentor. This might be a bit of a loaded question for you, but um, since rejoining AT&T Sportsnet, or I guess joining, um, what has been your favorite game to call? Yeah, that's, that is a tough one. I haven't really thought about it too much. Uh, I don't know which one would be number one. There, there have been so many games over the last few years that were special for different reasons. One that jumps out is the Marc-Andre Fleury return to Pittsburgh against uh, Vegas. Obviously, he came back. Uh, we had that, had that date circled on the calendar. Once the, the day the schedule came out, I remember, I remember that day I was on the air on NHL Network and immediately – 
Okay, Vegas at Pittsburgh for the first time, and Flurry returning. That was a that was a special game. The tribute, uh, the videos, the outpouring of love for uh, one of the great players of, in Penguins history, and one of the great ambassadors and great athletes in the city's history, and one of the best people. Uh, that was just incredible. The, right from the start of the warm up, with all the signs around the Vegas end of the glass during the warm up, and then in that. TV timeout when they play the tribute video. It was emotional. It was, it was really special. He deserved every one of those accolades and so many great memories. And you see why he's so loved is just because he's a wonderful guy. He's done so much for the city. And, and uh, to see him celebrated in that fashion was really cool. Uh, but there are other, other great memories. Uh, we, we don't do all the playoff games. We do the first round. So we had some memorable playoff games uh, two years ago against the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, probably for a goal, I think the most memorable would have to be the Crosby overtime goal in Edmonton of last season, which was such a magnificent goal and play by him. But it, just all the other factors that went into it with he against McDavid, everybody building that up. And that was just like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night game. It wasn't like it was Hockey Night Canada or it wasn't like a, a playoff spot was on the line. It was an East-West game on a weekday, very early in the season. So the, the playoff implications weren't there, but there was so much hype going into Crosby and McDavid. Who's the best player? Who's the best player? Who's, is Crosby still the best in the world? McDavid is making a strong case. And for a wild game, uh, 6-5, and the game in overtime, and Crosby does what he does there with uh, one of the signature goals of his career. I think uh, that will always stand out. That's probably the most memorable goal that I've called in my time, my short time here for the Pens. Yeah, I can remember watching that goal. I had to stream it through something because I was at my house in college. And um, I can remember your call still always sticks with it whenever I see a replay of that goal too. But um, on hockey going forward, we know with this you know, work stoppage, I guess, in a way that we don't know what the future holds for this season, but what are your thoughts on this possible 2014 playoff format that could be coming around? Well, that would make sense. Uh, I, I think we're in such uncharted territory that you've got to wonder about all different scenarios. And the league has been very receptive to different ideas suggested by various people, various general managers and owners. And I love that because we don't know. And you could see something that gets used here and maybe it gets – adopted for the future maybe there is some kind of play in game in the future because it, it works so well so it's an opportunity to experiment a little bit unfortunately their league has some experience with the, with the 2013 scenario where we missed the first half of the year due to the work stoppage and uh the preparations that were in place for that there are going to be salary cap implications there are going to be roster implications and how things are going to happen how teams are going to have to comply maybe you have to have some kind of compliance buyout uh for the 2014 thing from what I've read, I think it, it sounds good to me. It makes sense because you have teams that have played a disproportionate number of games that are in the playoff hunt. You cannot just cut it off as it is right now because that's not fair. Maybe Team Y, which was going to make a push in the final week and hadn't played as many games as Team Z, maybe they would have been in. So you have to have it extended a little bit. It can't just be at 16 and cut off as it stands right now. That's not fair. And I also think you can't have the non-playoff teams involved in this if it happens, because they're not going to be all that motivated. Like the Red Wings are going to—they've been out of it for a long time. They're not going to want to go out there under these circumstances and play in some type of tournament for nothing. 
So uh, I think that makes the most sense, but we're, we don't know. We just don't know uh, how this is gonna go. You just have to end up listening to the experts, the scientists, the medical community, and they'll be the ones who decide, and the virus will decide, unfortunately, uh, whether or not we get back to doing this thing. And uh, ultimately, uh, we're in the dark, just like everybody else is, and just trying to figure out how this is all going to go. I certainly hope we can get back and finish the season and award the Stanley Cup. And then if we have to start next year a little bit later, I think at this stage now, that would probably be the best case scenario. So I'm just hoping that uh, we're able to get back and doing what we love to do and watching hockey and uh, maybe – you try different things like with the TV broadcast, for example, and, uh, and we have un unprecedented access because uh, it, it would definitely be geared toward television as opposed to the live audience. Uh, so maybe there's some innovation that could be done there as well. And, uh, and hopefully we can get the opportunity to try some of those things. Mirzi, thank you so much for joining us. I think I can speak for both of us when I say we are really looking forward to seeing you back in the booth on our TV screens. We're looking forward to seeing the Penguins back on the ice. And when realistically, we're just looking forward to seeing everybody get back to healthy and everything get back to some semblance of normal. But again, thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely want to echo that and just hang in there. It's just a little bit of patience and hopefully we can get back to doing what we love to do, which is uh, hockey, whether you're announcing or playing or following it. It's just uh, such a wonderful sport. And I uh, hope we can get back to doing that at some point here in the near future, because uh, it is, it's a big part of our community. It's a big part of our lives, just sports in general. And I really think it could have the effect of uplifting a community that's been uh, knocked down a little bit here over the last couple of months. So I got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping to be back in the booth uh, with everybody and, uh, and doing the games again really soon. A huge thank you goes out again to Mirzi for joining the show. It was a fantastic interview. We loved his stories about the old Mellon Arena and, of course, his first NHL game as a play-by-play -play announcer. You got to interview the great one. That's one great way to come into the league, isn't it? Of course. Always. I mean... That's something I didn't know and wouldn't have even thought about because, you know, Gretzky's time, as unforgettable as Gretzky is, his time coaching the Coyotes was pretty unforgettable. Yeah, definitely not going to be in the top tier of coaches in the history of the league. That's for sure. <laughs> it was them being Phoenix and just not good. But, I mean, uh, either way, it's that's why Mario never stepped behind the bench. He did not. He stepped into the owner's box instead, and that worked out for him pretty well. Yep. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to do a trivia segment. It's a contest, giveaway, whatever you want to call it. It's a trivia segment. We know you guys enjoyed the Mario Lemieux trivia that we did a couple weeks back. So this one, we're going to leave open to you guys to answer. What we need you guys to do is if you get the answers, tweet at us with all three correct answers using hashtag Iceberg Podcast for a chance at a free tip of the iceberg coffee mug. Nicoreward already has one. It has our logo on it that we mentioned earlier. Less than four months old as a logo. It's a fantastic logo. To win, you must be following us at Iceberg Podcast to qualify. So if you get all three correct, you'll be put into a drawing for a chance to win the coffee mug, and the winners will be selected on Friday, May 22nd. So shall we get to the questions? Of course. Question number one. What do Ulf Samuelson, Ron Francis, Max Talbot, Chris Letang and Patrick Hornquist all have in common. And that's Olf Samuelson, Ronnie Francis, Max Talbot, Letang, and Patrick Hornquist. Let us know what all three, all five of them have in common. Uh -huh. Question number two. 
who is the goalie that Mario Lemieux has the most goals against in his career? You just need the name of the goalie. And question number three. Since we're talking about Mellon Arena a lot today, question number three is who scored the final Pittsburgh Penguin goal in Mellon Arena history? Those are the three questions. So send us the correct answers using hashtag Iceberg Podcast. You get a chance at a free tip of the Iceberg Coffee Mug, and you must be following at Iceberg Podcast to qualify. I think we're going to give a couple of these away, not just one. So there's going to be an opportunity for a couple of them. Horwat, how, how do you think you would fare in this? Uh, I know two of them. That middle one, I don't know. That middle one, you don't know. So yeah. That middle one stumped me a little bit, yeah. But if you didn't have to Google them, you know more than me. And if you did... You knew less than me. <laughs> I don't know. Speaking of Google, people should go on there and type in cool hockey. You know why, Horwat? The promotion that we're doing. Yes, the promotion that we're doing. <laughs> you were wearing your New York Rangers cool hockey jersey that you got last week. I know that I have a couple jerseys from cool hockey. So you guys, our listeners, have a chance to win a cool hockey gift card. From May 1st to June 1st, any jersey purchased through our link will automatically enter you in a draw to win a $175 Cool Hockey gift card. All you have to do is go to www.coolhockey.com THPN. Buy that jersey that's been on your wish list for way too long now. Tell <laughs> us on Twitter which jersey you ordered so we can connect you with your purchase for a live draw on June 6th. That's all. Anybody who buys a jersey through our link before June 1st has a shot at a $175 gift card thanks to our friends at Cool Hockey. That's basically a brand new jersey along with the jersey that you just bought. Because if you use our promo code THPN for 30% off, it should get you under that $175 benchmark. So it's basically buy one, get a chance to get one free. One last time, that's www.coolhockey.com THPN. And let's not forget that now the Hockey Podcast Network has 36 unique podcasts that delivers a new episode daily. So we have content on a daily basis. Of course, our episodes are coming out on Mondays right now. You have all these other podcasts, including the House of Hockey Podcast, Tales with TR. You hear me rattle them off every week. You guys should check them all out. They're fantastic programs. Just as good, if not better as us here on the tip of the iceberg. But that's going to be it for this one. You can follow Nick Horwat at Nick Horwat 41. You can follow me if you so choose to at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast, which you're going to need to do if you want that free mm-hmm. tip of the iceberg coffee mug. The tip of the iceberg can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from. So please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love seeing your feedback. So keep bringing it in. Keep letting us know how we're doing because we feed off of that. To be completely honest, we love seeing it. The tip of the iceberg is also brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. As it always is, you can follow those guys at hockey pod net on twitter or you can visit them at the hockey podcast network.com every team everywhere enjoy the week pens fans enjoy the weather where i hope it is nice where you're at we're supposed to in this area of the world and country get a little bit of nicer weather this week so have a good one pens fans